Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Joining us now uh, to talk football from the UK is Matt Reed. G'day, Matt. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Matt. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Uh, I think uh, considering, good considering, should we say, as a Manchester United fan at this stage of the season, nothing is easy. No, no, absolutely. Well, it may, I was going to say it makes a change, but it doesn't, does it? Because it's years and years and years of this now. Um, you're, 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 you're in that position that a lot of people were saying, well, you know, big change of manager and you know, look what happened to... Uh, to Liverpool after they uh, they had ended their run of title wins and um, and it all went wrong and they didn't win for a couple of seasons and, and that's where United are now I'm afraid. Yeah, a lot of work to do and it doesn't feel like your manager's got much to do with it really. Uh, I think uh, the, uh, no. the, the the owners and and a few of these. I mean, I see John Murtagh, who has, you know effectively taken over running the transfer policy. Is he's just another banker? So it's it's more of the same. Uh, blokes who don't even know how to play football manager on the PC, let alone do it in real life, uh, running the transfer business. It's uh, it's horrible to watch. Yeah, yeah, no, I do. And, you know, with my um, my non-anti-United um, hat taken off, I'm not anti-United in the slightest, I'm strictly impartial, but I grew up at a time when in the playground... Um, and I grew up in Norfolk. Um, probably half of the children in the playground were Manchester United fans, but they were very much part-time Manchester United fans. They're not engaged in the way that you are, Rick. It was it was a uh, it was a continual grind as a non-Manchester United fan to uh, to just watch year after year Manchester United winning the title, and that's that's what happened in the 90s and noughties. Um, it's now a, a very different time, and I and I I do truly feel for Manchester United fans because there was a, a huge hardcore, best supported team in the country without a question, um, who are pulling their hair out at the fact that the club is being run as a business, uh, and it's being run to make money and to be asset stripped um, and repeatedly year after year with extra funds being taken out of the club, the focus being on the commercial and being on the revenue rather than actually being on how to make Manchester United a successful and winning team. And it's uh, it's a destruction of a, a key asset for the UK and for UK football. So it is a, it is a real shame. Yeah, I mean, there has been some talk of, um, you know, a, a consortium potentially. I know Michael Knighton's trying to put something together um, and there has been uh, some talk about Sir Jim Ratcliffe being involved as well. Is, is, is there anything to that, do you think, or is this all just United fans who are hoping, uh, making up stories? Uh, there's, there, there, there are definite um, legitimate quotes coming out from key and very wealthy figures, but they're quotes that have been generated by, um, by good reporters uh, asking questions at junkets and at... Uh, and at uh, media opportunities for their businesses uh, and kind of connecting two things together and creating a situation out of it. I, I, the issue at the moment is that 
Man, the, the owners of Manchester United, the Glazer family, have no interest in selling. Now, that could change if there is a significant drop-off in um, in commercial um, turnover and in, in, in revenue generated by the club, by ticket sales, TV rights, long-term, etc. That's quite a long-term thing, but there are plans for the Liverpool match for non-attendance. And these, these, uh, these protests have been, have been in place um, in the past, and they've really come to being 5,000, 10,000 fans. The real, the real hardcore of uh, anti-Glazer protesters um, you know, putting their money where their mouth is or putting their feet where their mouths are and, and not attending or from standing outside the, the ground or from a green, a green and gold protest, etc. But the numbers haven't been great enough. The, the, because of the, the poor start to the season, because of getting, getting drubbed by one of the lowest funded but best well-run clubs in the country in, uh, in Brentford, and to be fair, Brighton are in a fairly similar position to them um, as far as being really well-run and uh, not particularly um, like, you know, funded in a, in a big way, outperforming themselves. Um, there, there is a growing momentum, and uh, I think that this protest is getting much more attention now from the national press um, but it's also from fans groups and from um, the wider Manchester United audience rather than the real hardcore Stratford Enders. Mm. So I, I think there's a really good chance that the stadium could be 20,000, 30,000 people short of what it should be for the Liverpool match, which is one of the standout matches of the season. And potentially there could be a picket line created all the way around Old Trafford, which in that situation, the tourist fans, the uh, the people who aren't uh, aren't engaged in in the in the bigger um, project of Manchester United, who are there for seeing a club who they love, but they only go and see them once or twice a season. They'll be fully aware of the situation. And if a picket line is formed around the around the the ground, with uh, I'm not suggesting there should be aggression, but with the kind of like the uh, uncomfortable atmosphere that that brings and the the, the feeling of like malevolence then that could potentially put off a lot of people from going into the ground. And even though they bought their tickets, it could lead to a lot of empty seats. So this is, this is where the power lies with the fans. The fans need to be um, draining money from the club and from showing that, that revenue will be reducing. And that's, that's the way to, to create a change because that's what drives the Glazer family. Now, I know that uh, against the, the, the last game of the preseason against Rayo Vallecano, they uh, protested... Uh, across the front of the superstore, so no one could get in, and yeah. they end up having to shut the superstore. I would imagine that that is the sort of thing that's going to get attention. I saw John Smith, who's a football agent, talking on Talk Sport the other day. He suggested that he thinks the Glazers will probably sell within the next two years, and that there's a bunch of different suitors lined up who who are interested in buying it. But his point was there's six Glazer siblings, and that's part of the problem is trying to get them all to agree on anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is definitely part of it. Um, there is a, there isn't, there isn't just the, the the one dominant Malcolm Glazer. There are there are a lot of people who are involved in the ownership and in the profiteering from Manchester United. Um, and it's very hard. I mean, the more as you as you probably know from working in in larger and smaller businesses, the the, the bigger the organisation, the more people you have to go through to get approval for things to go on, and the slower it, it takes to get things done. But the the, the the long and short of it is, if you if you have enough money being offered to uh, the Glazer family and they can and and enough hassle on the other side of it from retaining their assets, that's what's going to create the sale situation. So if uh, if a Jim Ratcliffe 
who is worth billions and billions and billions um, is is going to come in and is going to offer serious money to purchase the uh, purchase um, United, and it will be the equivalent of taking 20, 30 years to be uh, to be making that money out of the continual asset stripping and all the rest of it. Then, then that will be the driver for the sale. But the, the, it's going to need to be an enormous offer for a club which is really, really struggling. The alternative, of course, is um, Manchester United um, being relegated at the end of the season. That's uh, the, the alternative driver. And it's extremely unlikely because there are seven or eight very weak clubs at the moment in the Premier League um, who are who are probably going to be a good a good 10, 10 points short of the of the top 10 to 12 teams because there is this big divide in in um, the level and the quality of management and the level of performance of these teams um so it's hard to see Manchester United going down but um you know if it carries on like this then that could be enough to you know, to panic the glazers because um, as much as the enormous revenue generated by by shirt sales and ticket sales at Manchester United is a big thing. It's nothing compared to the TV money, and that TV money disappears if you're relegated to the Premier League. Yeah, well, I mean, it also disappears if you don't make the Champions League or you don't make the Europa League, right? So, I mean, that's got to be hurting for, to, a little, at least. Yeah, but it's but it's not it's not comparable. I mean, the the power of the Champions League deal um, was diminished and watered down significantly a couple of years ago when the latest Premier League deal um, was signed. Um, Yes, it's it's an important top up, and it's what and it's what separates um, the top four teams from the teams below, and the top six teams from the teams below from, from the rest of the league. Um, but it's uh, it's the, the bulk of the money is from the from the Premier League deal. The Premier League deal is the big deal, um, and the, uh, the Champions League deal is a is a is a nice large cherry on top. Um, but yeah. If if Manchester United have a few seasons outside of the uh, outside of the, the Champions League, then wage bills will come into play, and um, again the asset looks less desirable to a uh, to to owners who are getting a lot of hassle, a lot of flack, and um, will be thinking, well, where are our returns from this? You know, is this something which is a benefit to us anymore? Should we get out? Uh, and there will be brand damage. If it goes on for long enough, there will be brand damage because as much as you hand down your shirt to your son and your daughter. Um, it's uh, it, it becomes less of an appealing thing to be picked up and to be a Manchester United fan if Manchester United aren't a team who are one of the big clubs and who are in and around and challenging for all of the history and all of the culture and all of the incredible things attached to Manchester United. Winning is is a drug to a lot of fans, and that's that's the, that's the thing which keeps the top teams at the top. And I mean, look on the streets of. Uh, um, I mean, I live in the Midlands. I live in Leicester. Um, but I travel around the country a lot for work, and you look on the streets of every every city and town. And I've, I've been to Bolton recently. I've been to Manchester. I've been to Liverpool. Uh, I've been to London. And there are a heck of a lot more Liverpool shirts on the streets now than there were 15 years ago, when there were very very few, because Liverpool are a a remarkable success story, and all of this, all of the tales of the past and the the enormity of their successes are being spoken about again and they'll be spoken about as winners uh, and that's very quickly forgotten isn't it when uh, when a club doesn't win a trophy for five ten years in the way that's happened with Everton and Aston Villa uh, and Newcastle although Newcastle are kind of turning a corner now so uh, yeah yeah it's a, it's a, a time of a time of, of change potentially for Manchester United and that could be a good thing the Liverpool match uh, on Monday with attendance or non-attendance I think will be absolutely key.
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. There has been, uh, I see a few people have tongue-in-cheek build at a relegation battle, uh, third round of the uh, <laughs> of the Premier League. Of course, Liverpool have started with two draws against a Fulham team who were, I think, odds-on to be uh, relegated. I think they were the, the, the favourite to be relegated at the start of the season. They drew yeah. with them uh, and then drew with Palace as well, who, of course, last time they played, I think Liverpool won 7-0. So not all going well. And, and Darwin Nunez as well with that headbutt on Anderson. Uh, gets sent off this talk that it might not be a three-game ban, but potentially a five-game ban. Yeah, it's it's a question of, of how far into the um, violent conduct bounds it pushes. Um, I didn't see the game live. I, I came in and I watched the highlights, which is very bad of me, really. Um, but, but having having watched it back, and, and I, I was listening to it as it happened, because um, I was travelling, and I, I expected it to be um, much more of a... How am I going to put this delicately? Um, much more of a throw your head back and um, and you know, catch somebody you know on the bridge of the nose kind of headbutt. It wasn't quite like that um, from the way, but the, the way it was described it made, made it seem like that. And um, there actually has been a bit of a change of, uh, of tone. Admittedly, majority from uh, from uh, Liverpool-based reporters, David Maddock at the uh, at the Mirror, being a being a leading voice. Um, about uh, about how uh, about how, how it wasn't that bad. I mean, the fact is, it was a headbutt, um, and if you headbutt somebody, I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter if the player goes down and rolls around. It doesn't matter if there's blood. It doesn't matter this, this, and that. It, it, it's the act of headbutting somebody. Um, so there, there is being a review, and there'll be a, there, there are questions being asked about whether it will go from being the three-game ban for the red card. Or um, and or it will be increased because of the severity of the incident. Because um, he didn't headbutt him once; strong... he headbutted him twice, right? He he he, 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 he tried to. He, he tried he, to. He, yeah. He did try. He did try. It was the first one was a was a was a, a slightly more innocuous backward type type um, headbutt attempt. Um, you use the word we use the word headbutt, and it does paint a kind of picture. It's well worth watching, but please watch it at full speed. Don't watch it on the slow mo, because mm. I think this is where there's been a distortion from a lot of Liverpool supporters groups trying to suggest that it's not that bad. Uh, watch it at full speed. It's a headbutt. There's no question about it. Watch it at slow speed, and it, it looks like he's almost missed his missed his face when he's trying to headbutt him he kind of catches him below the chin um but it doesn't change the fact this is uh, an extremely aggressive act and uh, and it's something which is not going to be welcomed by um by the premier league and officiating will be there will, there will be there will be meetings um you know behind closed doors and um I, we expect to be hearing about it from before the end of the week about the uh, about the length of the ban yeah. um it, it's it, it continues a bit of a, a bit of a tone about the challenges of adjustment of Argentinian and Uruguayan play, players who are among the most feisty, um, who uh, are involved in football, uh, and um, who, who stand up for themselves. Let's put it that way. Um, going back to the days of Gabriel Einstein at, um, at Manchester United in his in his first season. Um, with some very suspect tackling, and then moving on to uh, Luis Suarez, obviously with his long career of controversial moments, uh, and you know there, there were countless examples um, of um, of suspect and slightly too aggressive um, play and uh, responses to being basically being jostled and shoved around by defenders uh, or by your opposite man. And uh, it's going to be a very steep learning curve for Nunes. I suspect if he does only get a three-match ban, there's a very good chance that 
Klopp will not put him back in automatically because it is such a naive thing to do and it's so incredibly unhelpful to his team for him to show that lack of control in the way that he did. He, didn't, he hadn't played particularly well, was undoubtedly wound up by missing a couple of good chances on his home debut and all the excitement built up and attached to that. Um, but you know, this, this, he's not—he's not 18 years old. You know, this isn't, this isn't his first like you know professional match, and it's not even his debut for Liverpool because he's played in the away match. It's—it's uh, it's, uh, shows a lack of control and a lack of understanding about how to handle yourself mm. at the top level. I know when I say top level, he's played in Portugal and he's scored lots of goals. Um, but this is you know, the the Premier League of Premier Leagues. This is the top league in the world. And there are some very clever and wily defenders. Um, and he wasn't really even being wound up that much. So there needs to be a bit more control from Nunes. And I think there'll be some points uh, very clearly made by uh, Jurgen Klopp to say, well, you know, you might you might have had your three game ban. I think maybe you'll miss another one now because you're not you're not deserving of coming back in the team. You let us down so badly with what you did against Crystal Palace when we should have been winning. Mm, yeah, it's interesting to see how that is going to play out. Of course, I, I did like it. He's already you know like Luis Suarez got Chewy Suarez. He's already been dubbed Angry Carol instead of Andy Carol. I, I see because they've got silly <laughs> haircuts. So uh, yeah, th- this might stay with him. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, opposition fans think, oh, he's a bloke we can wind up and 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 target him. Hey, the uh, the um, powers that be have got a busy week then because they've not only got this to deal with but uh, they've got a couple of managers out of London and Thomas Tuchel and Antonio Conte to deal with and well I don't think Conte's going to get off scot-free Thomas Tuchel said a lot of things post-match after the incident uh, which I think will probably even get him in more trouble yeah yeah absolutely um, so Tuchel spoke about the uh, about the officiating um, there was uh, there was a, 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 a an inference of um, Anthony Taylor not being suitable for uh, for refereeing um, matches of this level, uh, talking about um, or ch- challenging the uh, the decisions that were being made. He didn't go out and uh, and call him a cheat. It wasn't it wasn't pushed to that kind of uh, level. But there was a lot there was a lot of undermining of the referee. Um, and again, where the, where the Wiley managers and the managers who've been burnt by this in the past will say, well, I can't talk about that, I'll get into trouble, or, you know, they'll choose their words more carefully. Tuchel, who's a very experienced manager now, um, he didn't he didn't really um, pull his punches. So, so that's, that'll be a big issue for him. And obviously that's coming off the back of um, the interaction shall we call it with uh, with Conte at the end of the uh, of the match where I have a little bit of sympathy with him um, the, uh, the the kind of uh, the throwaway nature of the handshake from Antonio Conte was pretty disrespectful um, but it was uh, it's quite a quick reaction to be grabbing hold of his hand and holding on to it as he's as he's walking away rather than releasing it he was, it was you know, not receiving some like some eye contact half a second later so Tuchel the aggressor uh, then Conte flew off the handle when he when uh, Tuchel refused to let go of his hand and kind of drew him back in and uh, accused him of being unsporting uh, and saying that he should have made, made eye contact and had a bit of respect in his handshake. Um, it's, it, Tuchel tried to play that part of it down in his post-match, uh, whereas Conte was slightly more robust um, in his answers on the topic. I, I, because of the size of the melee, this is, these situations are, norm, are normally... Um, lead to more punishment 
off the back of the response to the situation. So if, if it had been the two of them, as has been, as has been hammed up with memes and things like that, had been one, one grabbing the other's hand and shaking hands and then spinning around and doing a dance to uh, some Strictly Come Dancing music and the way that it's been kind of dressed up online, um, then that would have been, it would have been uh, swept away and it wouldn't have been an issue. But the, you then had um, Chelsea security coming in, you had coaches, you had pretty much the entire uh, Chelsea and uh, uh, Tottenham teams coming in and getting involved. You had Aspilicueta coming in and winding up Antonio Conte at the end of it, his former manager. Um, so that, so it, it just it dragged on too much. And um, even though uh, punches weren't thrown, and and it was and it was just a really like like the, uh, a prolonged and awkward holding of hands, it is something which. The, is unedifying and it's uh, and it's not um, it, bringing the game into disrepute is the term that's used um, and that's a bit strong but it's it's an it's an unsavoury scene that the football authorities don't want to have attached even though it has us talking and it has fans um, you know chatting on the topic for days um, it's not something which can be encouraged so there will be punishments like doled out to uh, to both Chelsea and Tottenham probably in the form of fines. Yeah, fines uh, for failing to control their managers rather than their players. Uh, and and probably uh, reasonably, I don't know, lengthy, but I would say more than one game touchline bans for both of them as well off the back of... Uh, yeah. Because you I, had I the half-time thing as well. Yes, they 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 had the half they had the half time moment. They they already had the uh, the red cards were were dished were dished out, and then it didn't calm down quickly. So um, I, I I suspect it will um, it will be maybe an extra games ban for both for both managers. Um, what normally happens, and it's not just, is that even if one party is responsible for something happening, or one party is the chief aggressor. Um, you don't normally find that there is an even ha- an even handing out of uh, of the punishments just to keep everything quite cordial, cordial being uh, an interesting word to use. Um, so I, sus- I suspect there'll be a two game ban for for both of them, and there will be a, a large fan- fine. The, f- the fine will probably be based on the number of people uh, involved in uh, in in the melee, uh, and so there might be a slight difference there in the thousands of pounds that the clubs have to pay out for the uh, disruption. Mm. Yeah, all right, mate. Uh, let's uh, move on one more uh, to one more topic, which is uh, Everton. Of course, across the uh, across the, uh, the Stanley Park from Liverpool, uh, quite uh, contrasting fortunes uh, for them over the last few seasons. Uh, Frank Lampard is uh, in charge there, um, and recruitment's not going. You talk about recruitment not going well for United. Recruitment's not really going well for them either. They've got they've lost Richarlison. Uh, Calvert Lewin is injured for some time. And uh, they they really are down on firepower, but he seems intent just by every midfielder around. Um, uh, and and now he's trying to get rid of one in Deli Alley. Um, I mean, where's where's things gone wrong for Deli Alley? Was a regular at England, was a regular at Tottenham with Harry Kane, and now he can't get a game at Everton, and he's still only twenty six. There's this thing in football called second season syndrome. And Deli Ali's second season syndrome didn't happen in his second season. It happened after the World Cup. So he so he he'd reached the point where he where he signed the new contract at Tottenham, which had more than doubled his money. Um, he um, he then started getting more getting more involved in social media. He then started getting more involved in the uh, in the social and celebrity scene. Not to suggest he was going out and to China Whites or a leading leading nightclubs and uh, and like you know getting drunk at night and that kind of thing. But he was he was his eye was slightly taken off the prize. 
and he he didn't manage to kick on from the World Cup where he where he was viewed as being one of England's best players. Um, this is back in 2018. He, he there's also a documentary with uh, where Jose Mourinho um, kind of unpicked his game and where things had gone wrong, saying that he wasn't training particularly well. Um, there was a break in at his uh, at his house, not far from the top from the Spurs Lodge, the training ground, um, where. I can't remember the exact details, but there was, but they, but him and members of his household were kind of uh, were, were were held by the by the looters in the house, um, and all of this has just been a kind of a pointer to um, an unsettled and an unhappy time for uh, for Deli Ali, and it's been some time now. It's you know he had his first two seasons at Spurs, and he came in from MK Dons as a five million pound signing, and he was scoring goals. He was a significant link-up with, um, with Harry Kane. It was the two of them together before um, Jung-Min Son had kind of come along as the, as the key right-hand man or left-hand man to, uh, to Harry Kane. And he was a star. He was an absolute star of that team. And Tottenham were a top-four um, team at the time, reaching Champions League finals uh, a little bit later, etc., it's just it's gone wrong over the last couple of years, and uh, for multiple reasons. But his 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 eye has been taken off the prize. Money has become a a bigger player, and this is what so often happens with young players, young players who who get embroiled in the celebrity of football and in the wealth of football lose their focus. Players who have targets who don't believe they've made it and continue to graft and to drive on and to keep working and working and working and obsessing about playing football are the ones who go on to have long and rich careers. This is the, the kind of Paul Scholes mentality, the Steven Gerrard mentality, the players who really, really love the game. Um, Wayne Rooney as well. It's the street footballers. And, uh, there were, and there's just been, there have been too many additional details attached to Deli Ali's uh, career and life. There's also a lot of questions. I was, I've been in a number of, uh, of mixed zones and interview opportunities with, uh, with, um, with Deli over the years. And I remember at, uh, at England, the, um, when he was still a, a first-choice pick for the England team, so it was probably about 2017, 2018, maybe even 2019 time. I can't remember exactly when it was. Um, but when the questions were coming up about him changing his name on his shirt from Ali, as he was, as he had always had in his shirt, um, the surname of his estranged father, um, to Delhi, and uh, and the the national press, I had no interest in this. It's a very tedious story. We're just obsessed with his father and with the story in the background of this. Um, it's not the kind of journalism that I go in for, and that affected him. He, he was, it was a, it was a, he'll have a little, he had a little chat. The question came up. I rolled my eyes, and 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 they and he left. Um, and it, and all of these extra issues around Deli Ali's life have been a distraction from what is his remarkable uh, technical ability, his his reading of the game, his ability to find space and to uh, and to and to score when, when given half a chance in a very packed penalty box. And he he was a player like a Frank Lampard and like a Steven Gerrard, well, more, more Lampard than Gerrard, but he was a player who could score 10 to 15 goals in a season. Uh, and now he's a player who's struggling to get into a struggle, or last season was struggling to get into a struggling Everton side. I think Everton are letting him go predominantly because of the wage and the wage bill and because of the cost that they'll have to pay. He's a, he's a £40 million signing for them, four zero million. Uh, Everton are battling against financial fair play limitations. They're an incredibly rich club. They've got a decent turnover. They've got a very rich owner who's worth about £2 billion. 
Um, but financial fair play is the controller of what you can spend. And Everton have overspent over the last three years. So they've been balancing the books with some of their sales. Um, if they have to pay, if they play Ali for another eight games, then uh, they'll have to pay to make the first instalment payment of his £40 million fee, which I believe is either 10 or £20 million. And it's money that, at the moment for a player who's who's not scoring goals he's not looking like scoring goals so the few nice little touches for them it's just not worth it so i think it's a cutting of cloth and i think they would be very happy for him to go to Besiktas, who are who are pursuing him and i think would like him on a permanent deal but there's also an option for a loan yeah right interesting uh, and just before you go mate i mean given that frank lampard is his boss there is his coach manager uh, at everton are you surprised he hasn't been able to get a tune out of him or, and what do you think that says about him as a manager I think it's you look at it and you think, well, Frank Lampard was a uh, an attacking midfielder and a goal scoring midfielder, just like Deli Alley used to be. Um, I think it says a lot more about uh, about Ali and his ability to and his willingness to listen to the critique and for him to strip back his game and to start again. He's he has had more opportunity uh, at Everton because Everton are operating obviously on a lower level at the moment than Spurs were. Everton uh, last season finished um, 16th place compared to Spurs who finished in the Champions League positions. Um, so he had he had more game time. He was getting 15, 20 minutes off the bench and he was actually playing reasonably. Um, but I would suggest, and this is me being very cynical here, that Everton signed him um, knowing that the probability was they wouldn't be they wouldn't be retaining him and that he would be used as a temporary stopgap to keep them up or to play a part play a part in keeping them up last season. And if he really excelled, that'd be another matter. Lampard, the manager, doesn't typically um, he he drives strategy, but it's the coaches who are the ones who are there to uh, to develop players and to uh, and to, to pull them apart and put them back together again. Um, Chelsea, uh, sorry, Man, uh, Everton, with a lot of the old Chelsea boys, with uh, Ashley Cole in place, um, with, uh, Paul, with Paul Clement as well in place, they have some very um, good coaches and some very experienced people. Um, it's just uh, it's just not worked out for Deli Alley. So I think I think um, you can't put this one on Frank Lampard, but there is a little bit of uh, there is more speculation with the start of the season and the fact that Ali hasn't proved a, a, a roaring success. So the uh, the jury will remain out on Mr Lampard for the time being. Yeah, good stuff. All right, Matt. Hey, listen, thanks very much for coming on and having a chat. Uh, we'll catch up with you again soon, mate. Enjoy the rest of your day. It's a great pleasure. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Uh, Matt Reid there, uh, English football journalist. You can follow Matt Reid, R-E-A-D-66, on Twitter. He's uh, done a lot of really, really good interviews over the years, uh, particularly gets in with the young players before they become a big name. So some of the big names that he has talked to early in their careers, like uh, he was the first journalist to interview Raheem Sterling, uh, Theo Walcott, uh, Ross Barclay, a few others as well. Definitely worth uh, checking out his work.